Mini episode 1262 of the FDA Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1262. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris with you. And this is part 29 of our Coronavirus Crisis 2020 series. And today we are taking a look at uh, the third match in the greatest, I would say, UFC trilogy of all time and how this relates to the coronavirus crisis. Uh, It'll be an empty arena match here, so to speak. This is something that could have sold out any stadium in the world. And uh, instead, they're going to be holding it in a lonely Vegas gym, as it were as Stipe Miocic defends the UFC World Heavyweight Championship against his greatest nemesis, the former champion Daniel Cormier. And uh, again, Cormier took it off of him two years ago thanks to eye pokes that would have made the uh, Three Stooges blush. Last year, uh, Stipe took a bunch more eye pokes such that he had to have eye surgery afterwards, but uh, due to a series of liver shots predominantly, was able to wear him down, take it back. And uh, thanks to having that eye surgery afterwards and then the coronavirus crisis where Stipe has been working as always as a first responder, it took a full year to get back to this point. And a year is a long time to wait to talk about a Stipe fight, uh, too long in my estimation, with our good friend FDH MMA editor Jake Digman. Of course, the personal ring announcer to the champ at the beginning of his career, a.k.a. Ricardo Rodriguez, as it were. So uh, always a pleasure to get insight from a man who knows the champ well. My close personal friend, Jake Jennings Digman. Jake, good to have you back on, my man. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice to throw out that Ricardo Rodriguez line that maybe he's sensible. Yeah. We to never forget. <laughs> well, I got one that I, <laughs> I got one that I think more people are going to get. Although I don't know because there's a lot of MMA fans who hate uh, the pro graps. Uh, so they won't necessarily be laughing at this, but when I ran across something this morning, Jake, even though it's off-topic for what we're about to get to, I knew I needed to share this with you. Stolen off of the Internet here, ideas for new Chris Jericho T-shirts now that he's gone up and played Sturgis with Fozzie. So here are some ideas, again, uh, shamelessly stolen off the Internet. Uh, first one, Ayatollah of Rock and Rona. Uh, I've seen that one. The next one. The gift of Jericho vid. Breathe it in, man. <laughs> Here's one that gets points for creativity. Le champion of le infection. Wow, that's pretty good. Yes. Uh, you just made the contact tracing list. <laughs> there is uh, the, the last two seem especially apropos. Stupid covidiot. <laughs> And the walls of Jericho vid. <laughs> the walls of Jericho vid? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, fortunately... Uh, oh, oh, Internet, we can count on you for some great things. Yes, yes, and uh, fortunately, neither of the combatants in this fight, at least to the best of my knowledge, uh, spent any time in Sturgis there. 
amidst the uh, big uh, example of natural selection that is going on uh, at the moment. But uh, I did see a shot of Stipe uh, on social media today, apparently at the airport in Las Vegas, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope they at least sent him a private plane, right? Like, I don't want to think about this poor guy having to ride in coach with whoever else might be coughing into that jet there. So uh, hopefully he made it out to, to Vegas in safe fashion during a pandemic, Jake Digman. Uh, one would hope that, you know, it, it being the heavyweight champion of the world and, and they, what they're hoping to be a big drawing pay-per-view of the summer, that they would send up a private jet. But then again, you know, who knows? Yeah, it I'm is. I'm not privy to that information, but I'm just going to like to believe that they do. I, I like to think so, but this is Dana White that we're talking about here. And uh, we have talked about, uh, really, since before Stipe won the title, the idiotic antipathy that UFC has seemed to have, not wanting to embrace their blue-collar, uh, real-life Rocky figure that they have in Stipe. Uh, and, uh, again, this is really going to be something where I, I think a lot of people will think it's melodramatic for me to compare this to the Ali-Frazier trilogy. But when you look at it, that Ali came out of that, ensconced in the minds of many people, maybe not everybody, but in the minds of many people, the greatest heavyweight of all time, this is also what we're looking at here in this fight. And we've had, the last fight in particular was an epic. I don't know if that was there, Thrilla in Manila or whatever. The first one uh, was a pretty good fight also, too. The third one uh, it should be very, very competitive as well. But uh, if you look at the historical comparisons, where these guys stand and the chance to firmly grab the mantle as the greatest heavyweight in history, this really, I think, is the Ali Frazier trilogy of UFC. I, I, I can agree with that statement, especially you know, being the heavyweight championship and the, um, you know, the comparison because both are heavyweight belts. It was funny when he said at the beginning of it, when he said they're coming up, because obviously the UFC said, you know, it's the greatest trilogy of all time since the, until the next. <laughs> yeah. So it had me, had me thinking of, like, what, uh, what are some of the greatest trilogies of all time? And, I mean, this has to be right up there with, um, you know, Liddell and Couture. Yeah. Is uh, one of those. And, um, honestly, uh, I, I'd have to do some research on this and look into it more and see, you know, which other ones that are up on that level. So I'm sure I'm, I'm missing one or two of them there. But, yeah, it's definitely in the top five, if not number one. So, I mean, obviously the top two, because I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. So it's easily, you know, right up there um, with, you know, some of the greatest of all time. And it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. It really is, yeah. And like you said, there's not necessarily a lot of competition for the prize of greatest trilogy in UFC history, and uh, even at the heavyweight level, uh, no less. But this is a thing where coming into it, uh, looking at the odds this week, they seem to be shockingly even in a lot of ways out there. So a lot of the uh, the wise guy money, it seems like they don't really know which way to go with this one here. And uh, again, me being the cynic that I am, I believe that that should be the case only because the UFC has proven to be uh, so shockingly inept at uh, policing the eye-poking in the first two fights here. Because I, I happen to think that, again, Cormier is probably coming in in better condition than he was for the second fight, where he at least retroactively is saying, oh, I wasn't really in the best of shape, I was susceptible to the liver shots in a way that I won't be this time. Uh. But 
it's a thing where even if he is in better shape, I, I really think Stipe figured out last time and, and, and made the adjustments and, and with his team behind him would be able to make adjustments again. He has been the better fighter across the two fights, I, I believe, and I think he has the edge this time. But, again, if it's anything goes as far as the eye pokes here, if we're looking at the old Rowdy Roddy Piper slash Ric Flair routine with the eye pokes, uh, we saw in the first fight that that's the equalizer. Uh, yeah, that's the equalizer for anybody. I don't care how big you are. If you put right. the eye, you're going to go down. And, you know, there was one of those things where I actually saw an interview, I think it was during the last UFC, wherever the UFC on the, uh, ESPN Plus was. I forget what they call it now. But I was watching, I was watching the, that was about Saturday, and they had DC on there, and he was talking about how he dominated, how he was dominant through the majority of both of their fights. And Steve knew that. And I was just watching them, like, at one point, the second fight was really all that dominant. And in the first fight, it was basically, um, you know, as a direct result of those those eye pokes that, that came in. Uh, again, you know, that's selling the fight. That's how he's the fight. That's what he's there to do. Um, I think part of the reason I was fucking brought up the odds, Rick, and I was actually, today, I was actually looking up just to prep a little bit for our conversation. Um, courtesy of our drop, these ones dropped today, uh, courtesy of MMAOddsBreakers.com mm-hmm. and Adam Martin out there, and uh, they're both at minus 110. So even Steve is minus 110, and DC is at minus 110. And those are um, MMA odds breakers as the UFC goes through. And the correspondence for MMA odds breakers to the UFC is an old friend of ours, Mr. Nick Kalinkas. Really? So small okay. Small world coming back. Yeah, small world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> small circle. Yeah. But uh, those are usually, you know, ads back in the day with the com, and I always went through those guys. And uh, uh, I trust Nick as being, you know, one of the best guys in the business, if not the best in the business when it comes to, um, he is the best business when it comes to quantifying the odds for MMA and going through MMA odds breaker 1, minus 110 to minus 110. you got to throw in the difference between the previous fight and this fight is there's so many different X factors involved in this because of, you know, the COVID situation of, what goes in normally, you got to pick the fighters constantly in the gym, correct? Right. Year round. Even if they're not fighting, they're constantly working out. All of a sudden, for three months, however long we've had it here, they couldn't go work out in the gym. So, what kind of effect does that have on it? I think that is something, um, for a reasoning as to why the odds are coming up so even is because there's just that unlimited X factor that's in it. And another reason is, once again, it goes back to the UFC's media hype, because if you watch their show, um, it's pretty much their foregone conclusion that the show will end Saturday night with DC winning the championship and retiring as the greatest of all time in their minds, because, quite frankly, that's what they've wanted ever since he had the championship. They never wanted to give Steve a rematch for the championship. They just, uh, Brock Lesnar was like, nah, I'm good, and they didn't have anything to fall back on. So here we are, and just for the sake of principles and everything involved in it, um, I hope that Steve knocks him out on Saturday and finishes once and for all, and then goes on to do whatever he wants. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty... And that's, una- not a, that's not a knock on DC. DC, you know, great dude, great representative of the company. He's just in the way. He is in the way. And again, uh, being that although I've not met him personally, the champ is a friend of a friend, uh, as it were. And uh, I'm loyal to my how own. Did never, wait, wait, wait. How did that never happen that you've never met a person? I, I, I just, I mean, look, we, we might have passed each other in the hallway at STN back in the day and nodded at one another, perhaps. Yeah, but yeah. That, that, yeah, I just find it like a, out of all the shows and stuff, but that never happened. 
It never happened. No, it's never happened. And uh, again, but, but like I said, I mean, the, the, the fact that he's your good friend, he's a Cleveland guy. Uh, I, I'm, you know, we talk about this in all ways. I, I just I just did a, a geopolitics segment last week where I said, I mean, whatever I'm talking about, I put my cards on the table. So it's like I, I'm I'm a Stepe guy. I'm rooting for Stepe. Take everything I'm about to say through that prism. And when I say that I think Stepe should be the favorite, uh, again, though, I'm pretty good at weeding my biases out of what I think will happen. But I, I look at the adjustments that he made in the last fight and the disproportionate role that the eye-poking played in his loss in the first fight. Those two things taken together, I think, establish him as the man to beat. Cormier, as you said, is very great himself, and if there's anybody that might be able to make the counter-adjustments, it would be him. But I, I again, and who knows if Stipe is going to go to the body shots early in the fight or not. If he does, Cormier has a real burden of proof to show that he can withstand them. I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, these are the uh, Adam Martin who did the write-up at MMA Oddsbreakers, mm-hmm. uh, or release the odds. This is, what, this is what he had to say about it. The trilogy fight between Miocic and Cormier is finally here. We've been treated to these two heavyweight stories down the last two summers, Cormier winning by, by KO the first time and Miocic winning by TKO the second time. The trilogy fight is even tougher to predict because these two are so evenly matched. So much so that odds makers open the trilogy as a true pickup. These are two of the greatest MMA heavyweights we've ever seen, and the winner of the fight will probably go down as the heavyweight goes. This is a very tough fight to, to pick, but it is sure to draw heavy action on both sides of the sports books, regardless. Well, it's hard to argue with too much of what he said right there. And uh, I have to say, too, just to, to emphasize uh, yet again, and for anybody that's listening that's uh, a little bit more of the, uh, the the casual fan of uh, MMA, uh, it, it, which I, I fall closer to that spectrum, you know, than the hardcore uh, types like yourself, to be sure. But it's a thing. Uh, and as we've said in previous episodes of the show, I'm getting, I'm getting closer and closer every day. <laughs> if my friends aren't fighting, and if it wasn't during like a COVID, I just one of those things where it's like you know, it just goes back to kind of like my issues of UFC's lack of promotion. <laughs> but um, to me, the reason to make people care other than your fights. However, when you know we had absolutely no content going on until recently with sports returning, um, you know, they're like, oh, okay, here's two people fighting. I don't know here. There you go, yeah. I mean, and that's that's a thing where, but to anybody that's sort of a pre-existing casual fan that doesn't have the background and knowledge that you do, like, for example, I was talking to my dad about the fight the other day, and I was mentioning it about how Stipe won in the second fight, and I, I remember remarking to him of, like, just how brutal that sounds. I mean, think about it. Liver shots. I mean, I, I'm just, wi- I mean, wincing thinking about it. I mean, and early on, when I think it was Senator John McCain or somebody like that calling it human cockfighting, which I don't necessarily agree with, and, and I'm not somebody that believes, uh, certainly, uh, that it shouldn't exist. I, I believe that it should, but that's one of those things there where when people talk about the brutality of MMA, and look, Stipe did what he had to do, I applaud him, you go with whatever is there and whatever is legal, but I mean, the, the, the concept of repeatedly punching someone in the liver to win a fight does kind of sound like it's straight out of prison. Man, that's some old school boss rooting stuff right there. Yep. You know, because if you strike a man in the liver, you can stop his whole, 
last time. Uh, the last time these two battled. It's funny, I'm looking through the card right now, and I'm like, oh, these are good odds. I, this looks like it's going to be a good fight. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> Junior Dos Santos is fighting, uh, Junior Dos Santos, the former rival of Steve Miocic, uh, actually has a win over Steve. Uh, he is fighting uh, this card. I'm not even going to pretend to be able to pronounce this guy's name. Yarson Hiro Rosrudic? Okay, he's minus one. He's minus one four. The only reason why I bring this up, because usually if you notice, like I'm actually surprised that it didn't. Um, they had the, the Derek, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. He's another guy getting pushed in the UFC right now. Usually it's a heavyweight title fight. They usually have like you know whoever they their next guy they're trying to push along is kind of on the undercard, no matter what the title is. Um, that's how they try to do it. Some of the welterweight main event or whatever title they're trying to get, you know, a couple other contenders on there. But everything got thrown all into a whack because of the situation with. Uh, fight Island and COVID and being able to get people into the fight and whatnot. So, um, but it's interesting to what the other heavyweight battle on the card is going to be. And apparently this guy here is the, uh, the guy that Santos is fighting is an up-and-cover. Yes, yes, very much so. By the way, it's worth underlining here. Uh, a moment ago, the gentleman running down the list of names on the card somewhat haltingly, our MMA editor, Jake Digman, everybody. <laughs> so... I, no, I mean, I, I'm obligated. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I have to bust your balls for that. I just, I have to. That's fine. I honestly have no idea how to switch out what this up here. It's just, I mean, it goes back to our previous conversation we had about it. Yes. Unless my friends are involved in it, you know? Right. It's just, it is what it is. Well, I mean, it's an oversaturation of things, and, uh, yeah. There's not a lot compelling that's going on, quite frankly, in it. Uh, they, they don't have a whole lot of big stars in the different divisions, and that's why they're always real thirsty for whenever McGregor wants to fight, because he's at least a known commodity, and yeah, there aren't a lot of big things to go around. There's, we don't have as many opportunities to talk about things here on the show, and it's, that's another uh, selfish reason that I hope Stipe wins, is that you and I have more Stipe yeah. heavyweight title fights to talk about in the future. And we also have another one to talk about upcoming, because the, for the first time ever, for going for the... Um, uh, a flyweight championship. Yes. Cody Garbrandt. Yes. That's going to be fun. No love. Got to give some love to no love here. Uh, another Northeast Ohio boy uh, looking to get back uh, a championship here. Although, uh, as you said, at a different weight division going down and weight a little bit here. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on uh, as well. And as it as it goes for uh, for Stipe here, this this whole thing, one of the X factors would be, and again, I I don't know the extent to which I'm going to assume that Cormier had more time to prepare. A because he's the guy who caused the eye surgery, not the guy who had to endure the eye surgery. So all the time that Stipe was recovering from the last fight, from uh, like I said, the Three Stooges routine slash Roddy Piper, Ric Flair with eye pokes. Cormier was free to go out there and get any quote-unquote better shape. And then, as you alluded to previously, uh, the Strong Style Gym in Ohio here, uh, which uh, I I believe is probably becoming a world epicenter of MMA wisdom uh, since they have trained, we think, the greatest heavyweight champion of all time, as I think it will be certified Saturday night. But they were shut down, as were all other quote-unquote non-essential businesses in the state during the height of the coronavirus shutdown here in Ohio. Plus, he was out there putting in a lot of shifts, 
Uh, I don't know if it was more than usual, but at least his usual amount of shifts as a firefighter slash uh, EMS guy uh, out there locally. So it, it is fair to presume without knowing for sure that Cormier has probably gotten more gym time over the course of the last, if you want to go back six months, nine months, whatever the case may be. I know that as soon as the gym opened, I think in what, late May, Stipe's been in there. No doubt he was training at home prior to that. But that's one of those things where, again, if you're going to make a case for Cormier, which, again, I don't in the end find to be convincing, but I think that's one of the things you lean on if, if you were thinking he might pull it off. Yeah, and you look back at the first fight, you know, he, he was able to catch Stipe with a flash knockout and knock him out. So that's one of those things you lean on. Um, also, but looking at it, just knowing the uh, Stipe and knowing Marcus, if you think that just because the gym was closed and they weren't scouting game and sure. what, you know, what the game plan was, I mean, I'm pretty sure they have quite no for a fact that they've gone through forwards and backwards the team of both plays, plus whatever fights they needed to looking for holes. More holes in Stipe's game than in DC's game. Because if it's the holes in DC in Stipe's game, it will open up the holes that are in, uh, in DC's. So if you take it home first, then you can create new opportunities to come in here and, you know, the new tactic. And I'm pretty sure, you know, that's what they've got the, got the team doing up there. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see how it goes down. But it's just one of those things where every single time I'm just watching people fight with friends of mine fight, I think, I get that feeling of, like, super nervousness <laughs> that I can't really describe, other than, like, you know, I guess maybe sometimes teams with people like their favorite sports teams or something going to compete, but it's just it's like this, oh, God, oh, God, here we go. And it's like, you know, you're either going to get, like, the super adulation rush or you're, or it's just this sad. I don't want to watch TV anymore. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask on that subject here, because this, this is one of the questions I have a chance to ask you that is super unique in the course of breaking down a fight like this. And that is, just from your perspective emotionally, because going back to the very beginning, as much as I joked about the Ricardo Rodriguez thing before, you know, personal announcer, you know, and but, but again, somebody who is basically right-hand man in terms of management for the promotion. So working very, very close, with NAAFS, working very closely with the fighters, getting to be good friends with them, whatever. You were friends with the guy when really nobody outside the Northeast Ohio MMA community knew who he was. And you're talking about watching your friend fight and the nervousness and whatever. You're going to be watching your friend fight on Saturday night on the biggest stage in the world. It just, I mean, so there's the whole thing of like, yes, this guy that I go back to his pro debut in the 2000s and we're friends and we go way back and whatever, and there's that. And, you know, you were you had that same feeling watching him back then of nervousness for him and whatever. But, I mean, how surreal is it for you? Like I said, you, you're going to be having those same feelings as you always do when you watch him fight, but you're watching him fight on the biggest stage in the world. It's, it, it, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to do sick. It's before, if it's on, like, you know, one of the, you know, if it's on uh, one of the smaller scales, you know, maybe nobody will see it. Everybody sees this. <laughs> so, again, it goes back to, it goes back to that, uh, that adulation. Where it's like, you know, when adulation there's like, yeah! And, you know, because of who I am, and because of, the, you know, my background and growing up in the MMA community, I have so many people that are, I'm in contact with via social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, or Instagram, that is, uh, that, you know, we're all in it together. So it's like, it's this feeling of camaraderie where everyone's just like, 
probably a roadblock towards that as long as he is uh, outside of the whole system there with uh, with Las Vegas and uh, remaining true to his Northeast Ohio roots. And uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand the whole notion of camaraderie and the whole feeling of pride and everything like that, watching uh, him going all the way through. The other thing is, is that uh, knowing that uh, you're, you're in a neighborhood where there's probably at least more than a few hipsters there, this sort of makes you the ultimate hipster, doesn't it? Oh, you're a fan of Stipe now? Oh, what can you tell me about his B-sides from earlier in his career? Let it roam, buddy. Let it roam. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, the thing, though, is everybody who knows me, it's like I know my, my, my for those who don't know, I live in Highland Square. Yes. It's, it's an actor. It's a little hipster neighborhood. Um, <laughs> but everybody who I associate with and hang out with are, know my background and, you know, are pretty much some sure. of my fans. Sure. At least, you know, follow that. So, and somebody wants to come along, you know, new pitfall friend or something. It's like, oh, I'll be like, I'm probably just know their bus jobs and just kind of, kind of laugh it off. Right. Everybody loves me. It's all, like, it's all, it's all in the, the, the uh, what you put forth to people, you know. Exactly. And people, people, and people make fun of you. And I wish, I wish I could have learned this when I was like, you know, in grade school. If someone's making fun of you and teasing you, and you just no sell it, it just ruins the joke. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. And it's like, oh, okay. And, and the teacher's like, yeah, I like this guy. He's cool. But unfortunately, you know, grade school me, it took uh, many years to, to learn that one and be able to kind of have an even keel. It's like, oh, you got a good chuck, you got a good uh, burn? Nice. Oh, tr trust me. Trust me. If there's anything I could go back and tell a young Ricky, that might be it. Yeah, just learn to no-sell other people a little bit better. So, you know. <laughs> no-sell all of it. Exactly. If I if I could have no sold like Goldberg, I think I would have been a lot happier in grade school, junior high. But uh, you know, it is what it is. We come out the way we come out, and uh, what we are right now are guys that are uh, again very very much rooting for Stipe Saturday night. Cards on the table. We're not going to lie to you. We're not going to sit here with false pretenses of objectivity. So again, I am. That's not why you tuned into the show. No. Well, that's good. Welcome. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 
I, I'm saying that this far into the chronology of the, of the show, yeah, people haven't figured out by now that you're going to get my biases up front and yours and anybody else's that's a part of this thing, then uh, they're pretty slow on the uptake. But uh, So we know what we want to happen. It is exactly what happened last summer. I would characterize myself as reasonably confident at this point uh, that I'm going to get to see what I want to see Saturday night. How would you characterize your thoughts on it? Um, I agree with you. Uh, I can tell you what I want to happen or what I think is going to happen. Okay. What I think is going to happen is I think that Steve uh, finds his opening and he figures out a way to get in there, get those jabs in, uses the body, comes in over the top. What he has to do, or is he, you know, as maybe your Steve Hyman screaming, oh, that body, body, head. <laughs> right. You know, go and take down. And uh, my prediction is a TKO in round number three. That's what I think is going to happen. What I want to happen is to be a pro-cop head kick as soon as he tries to poke him on the eyes the first time. Well, first yeah. Time, first time, first time, he goes for the nine post Yes. Well, first of all, justice, and second of all, again, as I said before, the toll that this takes on you. And uh, I, I think any of us that are big fans of Stipe would, would like to see him as much as possible have a rest of his life that is untainted by the damage uh, that you take as a fighter. So anytime he can end it quicker, I'm in favor of that uh, just for those purposes, just because, uh, you know, I don't like to see him get beat on. Uh, is there any thought whatsoever, this was something I had read on ESPN today, about uh, that it is going to be a smaller cage and that apparently uh, that is something that Cormier was lobbying for. He thinks it's going to be beneficial to him. And that Stipe, as the grappler, as the guy who's sort of moving his feet more and trying to get more into position uh, to, to try to do the takedowns, that it could be slightly more claustrophobic to him as far as finding enough room to get in good position. I mean, I'm hopeful that that isn't the case, but do you give any credence to it? baseball where you're playing in Fenway Park with a green monster like how do you not have fixed dimensions I, I realize that I, I'm not the UFC expert that a lot of people are you included but I mean the whole notion of like variable dimensions that never even crossed my mind before I read this well that's actually you know that's actually been a thing for a while okay <laughs> all right my bad
UFC has always been, uh, there's about, what, 30? Yeah. I think? I think so. And, yeah, so that was always the thing, too, because when you, when you learn, that's what you got to remember, too. Then you think you're going to be claustrophobic. You came up through training on these tiny pages. <laughs> came up working through and having, you know, fighting in leagues like the NAAFS, where, you know, it was a much smaller cage. It was a 16 foot cage. So if they think it's dropping out of 25 of them, they're going to be like, oh, I'm scared. That's the dumbest. <laughs> the man is a freaking professional firefighter. I don't think a claustrophobia of a no, no, no. I, I, I don't mean claustrophobia in that sense, but I mean in the sense of, you know, and, and again, I, I think of him, you know, in terms of the skill set. Uh, he is somebody who was a Golden Gloves boxer in Cleveland, but also with a college wrestling background at Cleveland State University, I sort of think of him first and foremost in terms of that skill set. And that Cormier is not the grappler that he is. Cormier is good on the cage. He's very good at maneuvering on the cage. And the thought being that a grappler, because, uh, again, a lot of times it is Stipe sort of dictating how it goes with the footwork, whether he's backpedaling, whether he's moving in. It, it is Stipe that's, I think, the bigger variable in terms of movement around the cage. And that Cormier might be looking at it like, A, I'm good when I'm on the cage as far as maneuvering. If we're backed up against it, it could help me. But also, it could frustrate Stipe a little bit because you're taking away some of that foot space for him to get in that optimal position to go for a takedown. And that's uh, that. That was what I meant by not literally claustrophobic. Oh, okay. okay. But but I, I okay, you you know what I mean though. Like when a, when a, when a fighter is yeah. looking for the I perfect you were angle. Quoting, I thought you were quoting someone on that. No like no no. No. No, that was that was my weird choice of a word. But I was not. I meant claustrophobic in terms of where it could be frustrating. Like if you're a grappler looking for the right angle. And you got less space to work with, literally less canvas to paint on, as it were, literally. That that could be a thing where, if for no other reason than to get in Stipe's head, whatever, Cormier's going to be doing whatever he can here. So that's I, I just I just wondered if if that was registering with you. I'm glad you're sort of no selling this as a fear to, uh, thing about Stipe. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? Uh, now the thing with that though is, I mean, everybody has kind of agreed with is, uh, and the, the previous cities. JPC has an incredible wrestling background. Yeah. You know, he was uh, he's an Olympic he's an Olympic freestyle wrestler. Yes. I believe he was I don't know if he was the NCAA champion. Yeah, he was the, the multiple time NCAA champion. Yes. So it's like he, his whole game plan is everyone said the first fight is to get him on the ground. Right. He's failed miserably both times. So it's gonna be one of those, you know, I can see that where, you know, the less room to back up perhaps. But I just think that just gets you closer to the cage and I, I don't. I just don't see the five feet making much of adding much of a difference or having much of an effect on the on the overall outcome of the fight. Sure. Um, I think if he goes for the same strategy, he's right. going to try to get him down, and then maybe maybe a lot of these days will be the piece that he chooses skills. Right. And and let me clarify further because as you said, because uh, I, I risked another misquote misstatement there. Cormier obviously has incredible credentials wrestling. What I'm talking about is head to head two times out, as you pointed out when matched against one another. And that's where sometimes anything you've done, whether it be Olympics, NCAA wrestling, kind of goes out the window sometimes, depending on who you're matched up against, who your dance partner is, so to speak. Two times out, Stipe's, Stipe's been the better of the two head-to-head -head in the grappling in their fights. 
You and I are obviously hoping that'll be three for three because that would go a long ways towards him retaining the heavyweight championship. 100% agree. And it's not even in the grappling. It's actually more, more uh, a credit to Steve's counter counter grappling. Yes. Because he's able to fly, you know, the takedown defense and the block. I know that's what you meant. Yeah. He's got the, uh, you know, he's got the counter grappling to prevent DC from, because that's what DC likes to do. He likes to see that down smothering. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Long since been his style. So he's able to block that, and that also opens up Steve's reach advantage um, to be able to, you know, to connect with those shots. And the more he opens it up and get in there and get, you know, take advantage of the, the, the quicker hands that he's got. Right. Oh, yeah, and, and, and for those who think that uh, you know, reach might be an overrated thing, which I certainly don't believe, maybe the greatest example I've ever seen, uh, and, and it's kind of timely here with Tyson about to make a quote-unquote comeback against Roy Jones Jr., uh, what, what a letdown it was watching the fight in 0-2 against Lennox Lewis, uh, of thinking, boy, if he gets inside, he could do some real damage. Lennox Lewis jabbed them in the face about 900 times consecutively, just kept them at bay, wore them down. I mean, reach is obviously a thing that can be a big advantage for somebody, and uh, I think you saw it from Stipe in the last fight. Yeah, he's got the, he's got the wingspan of, like, a pterodactyl. So. Yeah. <laughs> guys, uh, reach is definitely a but that's, you know, long since been an advantage of his, and it does come into an effect, and we saw that with the, uh, um, the shots early on in the first fight, and especially those body shots in the second one. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he, he's really been able to mix it up, and again, the, uh, the, the coaching that he has received from his team, uh, the gym that he is in at uh, Strong Style uh, in Independence, uh, it, it just doesn't get any better than that as far as uh, the, the, the preparation that goes into these things here. And, uh, again, I will say, as I said before, unabashedly, unashamedly, uh, I am hopeful, as you are, that we will see uh, the ring announcer at the end of Saturday night and still heavyweight champion in the sad look on uh, Dana White's face. And I, I, I hope somebody captures a video of it and plays the Curb Your Enthusiasm music over it at the end looking at Dana White. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that would be great. Um... <laughs> Go go right ahead, man. All right, let's say we've got yeah. Let's say everything you just said said takes place and everyone's happy. Um, you know, there's somebody right now who's absolutely free that's nothing going on that's been training, and I'm pretty sure would because uh, the UFC would once they get jumped at a big payday. What if one of those or Brock Lesnar comes back? Well, I mean, because they obviously have this like. It, it, I mean, he's not wrestling. They're not going to pay him fifty not five hundred grand to go for a performance for a no beat. <laughs> sure. Be real. Well, but here's the deal, though. I have a hard time believing that post-mania, he didn't go back to his place in Saskatchewan that he likes to be at in between fights and times dealing with the outside world. And notwithstanding, and by the way, and uh, they're about to go to a fifth overtime here as I'm looking at the Blue Jackets and Tampa Bay game. Notwithstanding, yeah, yeah, 2-2, about to go into a fifth overtime. Notwithstanding these two bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton that the Canadian government made exceptions for, that border is sealed, my man. So that is the impediment to what you're talking about there, because somebody's going to have have to get... I forgot, Brock's Canadian. Yeah. Although, I mean, well, well, here's the thing, too, right? Aren't there large stretches of the border that are just unguarded woods and whatever? I mean, Brock could just turn up in South Dakota, basically, you know what I mean? Could could just, you know, and say he was staying in a motel there in the last five months. Why, for some odd reason, did you just make me imagine Brock Lesnar with a big, huge 
it's so funny you're mentioning this because even before the WWE was doing these cinematic matches, you know what I was jonesing for a couple of years ago? One of the and it all runs together in my head all the times that Brock had the title. But one of the times that he did, and I think this would have been before he did his program with Dean Ambrose, which uh, did not go well. But what I was hoping for was Dean Ambrose to win the title and then to, to say, I'm coming to get you. And they go and they do some, some stuff up there. Maybe Brock's got a ring up there on his ranch. I would have loved to have seen something like that. Now, if, if Brock would have, you know, again, the chemistry between them, the cooperation or lack thereof, whatever, maybe it wouldn't have been a great program, but it would have been a great storyline. Yeah, that absolutely would have been. And the only reason why I threw out the proposal at the end of it is because you could tell the UFC was definitely, you know, like a well that they wanted to go to because they know they could get you know, a draw out of it. Um, after this after this fight, honestly, I think really, that, that we'll see what goes down Saturday night. Well, you know, if it goes, if it goes BC's way, he says he's retiring as the champion, which, okay, that's cool and all, but, you know, nobody ever actually does. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So, then, um, so there's that. And, you know, if all things go how we think they're going to go and how all things should go, and uh, the champ retains, well, let's see what will be next for the champ is the question. I know there's a lot of momentum behind uh, uh, Derek Lewis as somebody that kind of, it's just Stingano, it's like they're hell-bent on getting that rematch right. to happen. I mean, but if you're, but if you're Steve A after this fight, what do you, what do you have left to prove? Do you go fight guys first? Well, I don't think so. You know, and that's the thing where, ultimately, yeah, Dana White is very much in favor of uh, Naganu 2 Electric Boogaloo, as I might like to call it. But it's a thing where, again, what's going to make you think that that one would turn out any differently? I mean, Nagano has looked impressive in the time since, but uh, let us not forget how impressive he looked in the lead-up to the first fight between them, such that I was practically breaking out a rosary before that first fight, uh, just hoping Stipe would be okay. And uh, he showed up yeah. all a thing or two in that one. So, yeah, I mean, where we go from here on this one, like you're, you're smart to think that it's going to be something gimmicky. If not Brock Lesnar, uh, maybe, you know, uh, throw a whole big fat wad at Bones Jones or something out That's there. What I'm thinking. Yeah. The only thing after this, because he's proven himself that he, what he has to prove in the heavyweight division. Yeah. It's, this is, as we've said multiple times before, this is a young man's sport. Yeah. He pays 38 years old. Right. It's something you got to look at, you know? Um, once you get up there and you go start hitting on the other, I don't, he doesn't, he's got a beautiful one-year-old daughter at home. He doesn't strike me as the kind of person that's going to want to fight until he's like, you know, 40, 41, 42. And especially, you know, at, at having been competed at the level of which he has competed at, arguably almost as the majority of his professional career. Well, and I mean, he was fighting the same. Yes. Well, and, and that's the thing, too. I mean, I want him to do what he wants to do, being a big fan, but it's a thing where, you know, if, if, if he decides at the end here, and I, I wouldn't want him to, uh, to, to do it in the ring, because I'd like to see him carry the belt out, enjoy life as champ for a while, but uh, if he decides subsequently that he wants to retire on top, I wouldn't fart at that, because if he wins this fight, he makes a strong case. Uh, a, a definitive case for being the GOAT, at least in uh, the UFC chapter of MMA history, if not the entire MMA history of heavyweights. 
And uh, again, and like I said, I, I watch it from the perspective also of, you know, just hoping that he's going to get through this with the least amount of long-term damage possible because, you know, history, you know, life, I don't, you know, we, we've, we've now seen, you know, a generation or two of uh, UFC fighters get older, and unsurprisingly, they run into a lot of the same issues as boxers with the amount of punishment that they take. So I'm, I'm always just rooting for a scenario that will give him a long, healthy, happy life post-UFC. So, yeah, if this is it for him Saturday night going out on top, uh, that would be awesome. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how it goes, but uh, it's just... It's it's a thrill. I guess, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just gonna say, I just think you know, after this, the only thing that really the enticement to come back for is to it's the big money. Yeah. Is absolutely, and, and I agree. With you, it's either a Brock Lesnar or a John Bones Jones, and I can't think of any two other scenarios where it's gonna. I mean, unless Conor McGregor gets super fat. Right. <laughs> you know, I can't think of any other scenario where that's gonna draw this much of uh, attention and that would. Basically, get the, the, the draw that you know, and like a, a John Bones Jones versus Steve Goat versus Goat. Yeah. Good God, that's you could break you could break the UFC pay per view record with that. Yeah, you could, and uh, that would be something uh, that would definitely be worth seeing. It'll only be possible if we get the scenario that you and I want to see on Saturday night, and here's hoping uh, that we do. Uh, as always, a pleasure breaking it down with you. It is always unique uh, when we get into these things here. Uh, Jake Digman, thank you so much. Uh, go Stipe. Go Stipe. All right, pal. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1262.